you've got a Bible, you might, might want to start turning to Matthew 5. And we're going to be reading verses 21 to 22, and then we're going to skip to 38 to 45. You might remember these verses. In fact, I actually, I think I, think I spoke on them um, ages ago when we started this uh, Come the Revolution um, sermon series. But if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, I'll put it on the screen. Um, evening, everyone. My name is Raj. I think um, there are quite a few guests here tonight. So my name's Raj. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the elders here at Jubilee. It's nearly midnight. It's nearly midnight. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. I've been really excited about tonight. Um, in, many, in many ways over the years, for me, New Year's Eve has, been, has become a bit of an anticlimax, if I'm honest. I'm usually in bed by now. In fact, I was yawning a little bit as we started walking in, but I'm awake now. And, and actually doing this tonight, having all that celebration out there, that friendship out there, and then worshiping God, I think that's changed how I'm going to celebrate, or we're going to celebrate New Year's Eve from now on. So this is, hopefully, we're going to, meet, we're going to start as we mean to go on. If you're a visitor here today, you are really welcome. Nothing's expected of you, but we're just so gr- uh, glad to be graced by your presence. So thank you for joining us. And we meet every Sunday, 10.30. Come and join us. Come and join us. There's lots of things going on in this church. So this is actually a first time for me. We've not done this before. I've never had to pray about what message to share with you all on the night before New Year. I've not had to do that. Maybe it should, have been, maybe it should be like a rousing vision casting moment. Maybe it should be a contemplative thanksgiving talk, acknowledging the year we've had. I'm so grateful to God for 2022. Maybe, actually, it should be about prayer as we kick off into 2023. All those would have been good ideas. But the more I prayed about it, those obvious topics didn't really come to mind. And quite oddly, really, what did, what did come to mind was the phrase, love your enemies. And the more I meditated on this, I realized, actually, this is one of the biggest hurdles for our world, isn't it? It's one of the biggest hurdles. Pretty obvious when you watch the TV every single day. It's often one of the biggest hurdles, actually, in the church. And we are meant to be a light to this unforgiving world, aren't we? But it's a challenge for us. It's a key issue. As we move forward, Jubilee, in all that God is asking us to, relational unforgiveness is where, listen, relational unforgiveness is where the enemy will strike most. Relational unforgiveness. In parenting, in marriage, in church family, in your day-to-day lives, we jubilee, you and me, are called and empowered to be the best forgivers in the world. We are. As we rejoice, as we welcome, as we inspire, as we go bringing the joy news of Jesus to all our friends and family and streets and schools and workplaces and the nations, we are called to be the best forgivers in the world. Oh, 
And actually living out, we're called to live out this genuine forgiveness in the church, um, in, 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 in full relational harmony and unity and sacrifice. That is what we're called to as a church. I think this is one of the key ways. Forgiveness, showing forgiveness to one another is one of the key ways that Jesus actually saves. I believe that. So let's read Matthew 5, 21 to 22. I think I've got a bit of a frog in my throat, sorry. And remember, when we're reading this, we're going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' shocking, countercultural teaching. Um, um, for those of you who've been watching The Chosen, I don't know who's, if people have been following The Chosen series, this is actually where we're at in it, aren't we? The Sermon on the Mount. Um, so let's read it. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, <coughs> show them the right, show them the left, turn the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it was said that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Jubilee, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that, may, that you may be children of your father. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we thank you for your teaching. We thank you for this amazing amazing talk you gave at the beginning of your ministry. I thank you, Lord, that it has changed history, that the Sermon on the Mount has changed the world. And I pray, Lord God, as we hear your teaching tonight about forgiveness, I pray, Lord God, that we will go home changed. And as we move into 2023, I pray, Lord God, that we will be genuine forgivers, empowered by you, Lord God. As that song said, that you live in us, I pray, Lord God, that forgiveness will become the hallmark of who we are in our neighborhoods, amongst our family, in our streets. In Jesus' name, amen. So a guy called Stanley Horace writes, whenever people are bound together in loyalty to a story that includes something as strange as the Sermon on the Mount, we are put at odds with the world. Jubilee, we should be different, not the same. As Helen recently prophesied, I think in our WhatsApp group actually, like fish swimming upstream against the tide. That's what we are to look like. And because of that, this teaching roars at it, roars at us, doesn't it? Can we really live like that? Is that fair? Surely Jesus didn't mean what he's saying, does he? Does he really mean that? I was, I was making up excuses actually and get-out clauses when I was reading 
that's that, that, that little passage were you. And the thing is, when, when this grinds at us, Jesus is being deliberate. He wants you and me to see that this high ethic, that this high ethic can't come about just by doing a little bit of DIY, a little change here, a little behavior management there. That's not going to work. It requires Jubilee a whole new dimension, a whole new package of interconnected, radically altered relationships. And hear this, relationships that start with God. A Christian Jubilee, this is the, this is the basics of what I, what I would like to share with you today. A Christian Jubilee, you and me, is someone who has come into a radically new relationship with God. And because you have come into a new relationship with God, it creates a brand new and unique relationship and way of seeing and understanding yourself. And because you have come into a new way of understanding yourself, then that results completely in a unique and different attitude in the way you relate to others, in the way you can forgive others. And really, that's the big idea. That's the Jesus forgiveness package. Three relationships, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. If you're not a Christian here tonight, and there are people who are not Christians here tonight, you could know this loving forgiving, tender God, because He's here. That's who we've been singing to tonight. You could be united with this God in Christ. Not a rule book, but a person. What a way to start 2023. So, let's start with this. Let, let's get into this Jesus forgiveness package, if you like. So, let's start unpacking it. Firstly, with God. Jesus, if you haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed some of those amazing words we've been singing, Jesus is altogether amazing. Some of you, some of you, some of you probably know that, don't you? Yeah. My friends often ask me, do you really, really believe in God? To which I ask, always ask them, what kind of God do you mean? And then comes the usual description of some grumpy old man in the sky throwing down judgment like lightning and thunder and always wanting to have a go at me. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear me wrong. He is a God of judgment. He is a God of righteousness. That's part of his beauty and love. He is not, it's not that he's just sometimes just and then sometimes merciful. He is always both. That is the Christian God we worship. Isaiah 30 reads, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. Why? For the Lord God is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. He is both merciful and just, but, but what hits us most as we see God in Jesus is that first and foremost, he is our tender friend. 
That's the God we worship. If you don't know, if you don't see Jesus this way, you should. Why not? He is a friend of sinners. The Bible tells us that. You and me. He's a tender friend. Dan Ortland, um, a theologian, puts it like this. In Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean, how attractive or revolting, how fickle or faithful we presently are. The friendliness of his heart for us is subjectively as fixed and stable as the declaration of his justification for us objectively. Do you see what he's saying? Now, that's the God I believe in. Jubilee, Jesus is not, the, is not the idea of friendship abstractly. He is an actual friend. That's the God we come to a person. And at the very heart of this intimacy with us is his forgiveness, his forgiveness. When I think about my attitude towards God as an unbeliever, and actually my attitude to him now as a believer sometimes, in what I say, in how I feel, in some of the ways I think, and how much of a hypocrite I can be. You know what? In, in those times, especially in those times, I am always overwhelmed at his avalanche of grace and love and forgiveness towards me every single day. It never ends. When you look at the God of the Bible, he is a God who forgives the unforgivable. He is a God who relents when we repent. He is a God who always pities the cities. And whoever you are in this room, whether you trust in him or not, you are created in his very same image. You are. And forgiveness is part of who you are and not just what you do. It's God's blueprint to you, if you like, of how you relate to others naturally. And it's rooted in God in Christ. Ignoring that, whoever you are, is being unnatural. It's not being true to yourself. Micah 7, 18 to 19, ask the question of our God. Where is the God who can compare with you? Wiping the slate clean of guilt, turning a blind eye, a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people. You don't nurse your anger you don't, and don't stay angry long, for mercy is your specialty. That's what you love most. And compassion is on its way to us. You'll stamp out our wrongdoing. You'll sink our sins to the bottom of the ocean. As children of your Father in heaven, that's what it says in verse 45, doesn't it? As children of your Father in heaven, we are called to live that forgiving and gracious life out to the very full. And so secondly, because of that relationship with him, our tender friend, our intimate God, because of that relationship with him, your relationship with yourself changes. 
That's the second part of the Jesus forgiveness package. Because of who he is, you see yourself differently to others. You see yourself how God sees you, actually. And that empowers you to forgive more and more like him. What do I mean? Well, look at verse um, verses 22 to 23. It says this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of hell. This is Jesus' way, Jubilee, of saying a lifestyle, hear this, a lifestyle of love grows on the inside with a heart that doesn't, doesn't look down on anybody. That's radical when you think about what we see on TV. Jesus is raising the bar here. He's saying, don't be fooled by the bare minimum of the law. The law bar says, if you don't kill anyone, you've escaped judgment. But Jesus asks a deeper question. He asked, where did that urge to murder start? How did you get there in the first place? And Jesus tells us. And he uses a word for anger that means not a temper tantrum, it means to swell up, a slow burn, starting with a niggle, an irritation, a dislike or a distaste or a resentment. It then becomes bitterness and then hatred maybe. It's gradual, it grows. He's talking about slow burns, slowly growing anger. And suddenly, when we think about it that way, we're all included. Anyone who is angry, this kind of anger, with his brother is guilty. And he goes a little further, doesn't he? He says, anyone who says, Raka, what does Raka mean? Well, it, it literally translated into T sign. It means, you're now, mate. That's what it means in T side. You're now, mate. You nobody. That's what Raka means. It's a slur, it's an insult. It's an attitude that goes something like, oh my God, I am so much cooler than you. I am so much more, I'm finding this quite difficult to say. I am so much more sophisticated. I, have so, I am so much more cultured. I am so much more mature. I am so much more macho. I am so much more feminine. I am so much more together than you. You're now, mate. You nobody compared to me. That's what, that's what that's getting at. And the last thing he points out is this. Anyone who says you fool, the Greek word here is moros, moron. Presumably, I don't have to explain what that means. Jesus is making it crystal clear that the sin of scorn and seeing yourself as better than other people will not hold up to God's judgment. It's a symptom of yours, my dishonor and disregard and disobedience of him. He's pleading with us all to watch out, watch our hearts, be alert, see what's bubbling within. It's a pride thing. We don't need to compare ourselves with others for value or security. You see, the difference between murder, between anger and murder is actually relative. Anger is a seed, if you like. Murder is the tree. 
There's not many murderers, but there's a lot of anger. It starts with a seed. Everything in that seed has the potential to become a tree, a forest even. Jesus wants you to look at all the potential of that seed within you. He wants you to notice it, realize it's there. He wants you to see it for what it really is and disastrously is, and then turn to him. Sorry, God, help me, change me. That's actually what confession is all about. When I was training to be a doctor in London, we used to look at cells and bacteria under a microscope. Actually, I used to talk a lot, but um, I used to do a little bit of air work as well. And I remember thinking, gosh, that strep air bug, you might have heard about him, that strep air bug is huge compared to that little bitty virus flu, flu virus. It's ginormous compared to that. But actually, when I step back, when I step back and take my eyes away from the microscope, I can't see either of them at all. They're all minuscule. The difference is negligent. Listen, that's how God sees sin differently from us. We might get under a, micro, uh, under a microscope and think, gosh, well, at least I don't murder. Well, at least I don't. Uh, at least I'm not, say, like Geordie or somebody. Little, just kidding. Little sins are nothing compared to all the big ones. That's how you might approach things. Listen, when God steps back, when God looks at you and me for real, he doesn't see a great deal of difference between you and the guy in home house or the ladies who are maybe presently walking the street. You do, I do, we notice a whole load of difference because we're still looking through the microscope. But compared to God, there's little difference. And a Christian is someone who really knows that. G.K. Chesterton wrote a series of detective novels where the hero was a detective and a Roman Catholic priest, and his name was Father Brown, not Father Ted, Father Brown. I don't think he was Irish, actually. Anyhow, in these novels, at one point, somebody says, don't say it in Irish, Father Brown, how is it, how is it possible that you always seem to be able to figure these murders out? He's kind of a Catholic Columbo. How is it possible you understand how the murderer thinks. And Father Brown says, it's a theological issue. No. No man's really, this is what he says, no man's really any good until he knows how bad he is, or might be, till he's realized exactly how much right he has to all his snobbery and sneering and talking about criminals as if they were apes in a forest 10,000 miles away, till he's got rid of all the dirty self-deception of talking about law types and deficient skulls, till he's squeezed out of his soul the last drop of the oil of the Pharisees, till his only hope is somehow or other to have captured one criminal and kept him safe and sane under his own hat. 
as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 12, for, for by the grace given to me, I said to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. So the Jesus forgiveness package goes like this. As followers of Christ, we have come into a radically new relationship with God. We are joined to Him, a God who forgives at His very core. And because you have come into that new relationship with God, it creates a brand new and unique relationship and way of seeing and understanding yourself. You cannot, in sober judgment, say, you're now, mate, you nobody. You can't even think it. Because when you stand back and see clearly how God sees it, it's not actually true. And so finally, part three of the package is because you have come into a brand new relationship, an attitude towards yourself, it results in a completely unique and different attitude and relationship to the world and people around you. Do you see how it flows? It flows from God into you, out to the world. That is the Christian, that is the Christian God who changes us. Jubilee, this is how we are able to turn the other cheek at insults, to hand over your coat as well as your shirt, to go the extra mile, to love your enemies, to pray even for those who persecute you. A Christian is someone who says, listen, you slapped me on this cheek, but any time you want to come back, you can kiss this one. I'm ready. I'm always ready. We really do, Jubilee, have the power to live like this. And as we move into 2023, I believe God wants us to see this. Yes, we want to see miracles. Yes, we want to see breakthrough. Yes, we want to receive gifts of the Spirit. We did a whole course on it. Yes, um, yes, we want to have booming worship like we had tonight. Prophetic powers, big alpha courses, an ability to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, tells us, tells, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us. And have all faith so as to move mountains. But... If I have not love, I am nothing. We're coming to an end. Hebrews 12, 1 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him so that you will not lose heart. When things are difficult, consider him. Forgiveness always requires the forgiver to take the hit. The pain of forgiveness doesn't just go away. That's why it feels difficult. That's why it often feels so alien to us. Where's Sasan? If Sasan says, if crashes into my car, for instance, and I choose to forgive him, I'd pay the cost for that damage, wouldn't I? If I chose not to forgive him, he pays the cost. What doesn't happen is the cost doesn't just magically disappear. Someone has to carry it. 
And that's what Jesus took onto, into himself on the cross. That was the cost that he paid so that we didn't have to. The price he had to pay so that you could be, as that scripture, Hebrews 12 says, so that you and me could be his joy and delight. And every time we consider that, whatever is going on between us, whatever unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment there is in the seed deep down below, we will not grow weary or lose heart. We really can be, as we move into 2023, the best forgivers in the world. But we need help. We need help. Jesus has asked the Father, and the Father has given another helper. That was lucky, wasn't it? As Gavin said, he is holding our hand. He is drawing us up the hill or the mountain. God's Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. He's the one who gets us to see that seed that is deep down within. He helps us to see with God's eyes and realize that we're, that we're now made. We're nobody compared to him. But the Spirit also lifts us to heights unseen. He strengthens us when we feel weak and helpless. As Dan Ortland again puts it, the Spirit turns the recipe into actual taste. I like that. Do you get it? Jubilee, God's, God's Spirit Jubilee, has been given to you and me that we may know way down deep the endless grace of the heart of God to us and through us to others. And I believe that's the message that God wants us to carry into 2023. Forgiveness. Not a funky message, but a message that will change you and will change others. Then and only then can we all receive what Jesus said to Peter, if you remember that conversation, when he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times, says Peter. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, not just seven times, but 77 times. That's what Jesus does. He always raises the bar. I'm going to end there. What I, what I would like us to do now, what time is it? Hey? 22. Loads of time. Um, what I'd like...